You're listening to Yellow Peril Tactical Tiger Block Podcast. Yes! This is Ian Storm! Ian Storm! Abang Bang Jago! Sorry Bang Jago! Abang Jago! Yeah! Boom! 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 Abang Bang Jago! Abang Jago! Sorry Bang Jago! Ampun Bang Jago! Hey everyone, how's it going? It's uh, John Scheinman here. I'm here with my uh, usual collaborators. Uh, we've got Camilla. Say hi, Camilla. Hi. Uh, and we've also got Snow here. Hello. And we've got a really, uh, really awesome guest today that we're really excited about who's going to talk about a topic that's actually near and dear to all our hearts. Uh, we've got James Stout. Go ahead and introduce yourself, James. Hi. Yeah, I'm James. Nice to meet everyone. So, James, uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a freelance journalist. Uh, so I, I mostly do investigative stuff. Um, I, so I, I spend a lot of time doing things like uh, public records requests and uh, going to like weird bits of the internet, finding stuff out, and then writing it up for just about anyone who will pay me. Well, I mean, that makes sense. But what are you, uh, what are you here to talk to us today about? Yeah, so I wanted to talk today about uh, the, the use of 3D printed firearms in the conflict in Myanmar or, or Burma. It's something I've been really interested in. Uh, apparently no editors are interested in it. I've been trying to sell it for months. No one, no one gives a shit. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I'm really interested in like the... To give a little background, I guess my academic background is in the study of the Spanish Civil War. And, and like international anti-fascism in the 1930s. I'm very interested in these kind of uh, non-peer-to-peer conflicts. And I was really interested in the way these 3D printed firearms, pretty much only one, the FGC-9, has like helped these people level the playing field a little bit in their fight against the military junta in Myanmar. So there's a lot of stuff there. And just so we can establish like what we're talking about here, for a lot of listeners who may not know, can you just start by explaining what the FGC-9 is? Yeah, of course. Um, and I'm by no means like the sort of most qualified person in the world to explain it, but uh, it's like a nine millimeter pistol caliber carbine type gun. Um, so it's it's like a it's a small, easily handleable. It looks like a submachine gun if if you know what that looks like, but it doesn't fire fully automatic. So, and it's three D printed, right? You can make all of it for about hundred dollars using a three D printer, which costs a couple of hundred dollars, and a spool of plastic, which costs cents, and they're very small, very easy to handle. They use like Glock type magazines, but they can print those too. And it uses nine millimeter ammunition, which I'm sure we'll talk about how they acquire that. And, but yeah, it's a little gun. Um, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, if uh, listeners recall our uh, our past podcast with Jake Hanrahan, he had talked about how he interviewed Jay Stark in Western Europe about his uh, Jay Stark's work uh, on the FGC nine. Uh, and you know, 3D printed firearm, and uh, the and I guess it's designed so that everything can be bought uh, in like a hardware store or the easily available materials. Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, I was talking to a couple of the other people who had worked on that design team as well, uh, and from what they were saying, basically everything is either printable or you can buy it in a hardware store. I know that in Myanmar, a lot of the people making them initially were making them in. They have like facilities for repairing small motorcycles, um, 
And so a lot of those motorcycle repair shops had the tools and they were using those especially to make the barrels uh, and to get some of the pieces of steel that they need for the bolt, right? And I know you mentioned before, um, again, I mean, a lot of listeners may not know uh, about the military junta in Myanmar. So could you sort of explain how we got in this situation at all to begin with? Yeah, we've dived in a bit at the deep end there. So if we sort of zoom out uh, nearly exactly a year ago, right on the 1st of February, um, following an election in November of 2020. And if you live in the US, some of this will seem like weirdly familiar, but also different. So you have like a party that wins the election, right? Uh, And that's the National League for Democracy. And then you have the military being like, oh, well, there was lots of electoral fraud. This just really wasn't, uh, this wasn't about the election. It's like some like Mike Flynn shit. Uh, But uh, like, it it wasn't just one or two crazy people or, you know, a few thousand crazy people. Uh, And so they, they, pretty much stage, or they do, they don't pretty much stage, they have a coup, right? Uh, so like a military seizure of power from a democratically elected government. Um, the people will be familiar with Aung San Suu Kyi, right? That's sort of the the person who's been held up as this figurehead of like democracy, uh, not without, uh, no, no, not above criticism by any means, right? Like uh, what was happening before the coup in Myanmar was also not good like the the specifically like the way the military had uh persecuted and um i think the un calls it like acts of genocide like undertaken acts of genocidal intent right which is some fucking great un speak uh for like tried to eliminate the the rohingya muslim people right um well and that conflict stretches all the way i mean even previously but uh around when the Japanese uh, imperial forces had occupied Myanmar, Burma at that time, right? Yeah, there's like a long history of uh, what they call like EAO, um, which is ethnic armed organization. Um, so these these different groups, it's not like a when like it's not like a consolidated nation, right? You have various nations, or not a consolidated state, um, and like when you talk about like it if you want to be a nerd, right? Like in academia, when we talk about consolidated democracies, uh, Linz and Stepan talk about democracy being the only game in town. Uh, so like where the, uh, the rules of the game are more important than the outcome of the game. And I don't think that was ever particularly the case, right? We had these 10 years of like quote unquote democracy, but even then the National League for Democracy is, is a party that is, is sort of run by and for the majority, uh, the majority ethnicity, right? But uh, like, uh, in Burma, oh, Burmese people, Burman people. Um, and then we have all these other, like, I guess, different ethnic groups who are not particularly consolidated to this, like, national project, not particularly represented, and have been fighting, yeah, since some of them basically, you know, we finished the, the Japanese occupation and that they just haven't stopped fighting. Uh, if you look at some of the weapons they're using, they're way older than that as well. It's fucking wild, like muskets and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of these people are like, and I've spoken to folks who fought in the, I think the seventies or eighties, maybe the nineties in the, in some of these groups, yeah, pe- not people who are from those ethnicities, actually people who'd, who'd like traveled to fight there uh, as part of these groups. So there's been a yeah, long kind of guerrilla conflict in parts of Myanmar. So, what exactly does the military want here? I mean, 
I know that uh, there were some government uh, rumblings in the government because I think it was uh, you. You probably will have to correct me here. I think the military uh, in previous times was entitled to something like a quarter of the seats in the Burmese parliament or something like that, and they're about to lose those privileges. Can you maybe explain that? I yeah, mean, it seems like to me the the motives are a little bit unclear for why they decided to do a coup in the first place. Yeah, I think they they had like look there have been previous coups right there i think it's 1962 there was a coup 1990 there was a coup they've had uh they haven't been accountable right they've really never been accountable uh the tapmador is a name for for the military so like can use us interchangeably uh and obviously like the the world was starting to look and myanmar starting to look at what was happening to the rohingya right and, and not look at it in a particularly positive way uh Aung San Suu Kyi had said some stuff at the United Nations, which, like, was pretty mealy-mouthed when it comes to, like, condemning genocide, right? And, and it had still suggested, like, she'd suggested that it was, like, an armed conflict between two PSIs, which it was not. Um, there, there had been some, uh, like, some violence on one side and, a, like, a metric shit-ton of violence on the other side, right? It was completely asymmetrical. Um, but maybe that sort of... Um, spurred their, their worries. I think they just want unaccountable power, right? They, uh, they, they want to be able to do what they want to who they want when they want. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, it's sad, but it makes sense. Can you explain what you know, the civilian population did uh, in response? Uh, I mean, we, I mean, I've read a little bit about the civil disobedience movement, and I, I'm pretty sure Camilla and Snow have as well there. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, from what I've seen, it began with like yeah, massive civil disobedience, right? Like silent protests, different groups, particularly uh, a lot of like medical workers uh, coming out and having like big, big silent protests, big marches, carrying banners, all of the the things that you'd associate with like uh, maybe like basically peaceful protests to begin with, right? And they were met with massive violence. Uh, you know, like less lethal munitions, lethal munitions, uh, less lethal grenades, lethal explosives. They've been run over by vehicles. People have been beaten and tortured to death. People have been burned alive. Like the worst shit you can imagine. Uh, and it just keeps happening. It, it's uh, like I've reported on a lot of bad things. Um, I haven't been to Myanmar, so it's a little different just watching it on the internet. Uh, but it's horrible, and it happens uh, like on a weekly basis. Is there yeah. a, a through line in the history in like the personnel of the the military there in Myanmar uh, from the the genocide up through what we're seeing happen now? Yeah. So, uh, I, and like I, I should also apologize for my pronunciation, uh, which will be bad. Uh, but like you've got this guy, General Minawang. Long, uh, I think that might be how it's pronounced. I did look it up a couple of times, but I've not mastered it. Um, uh, but yeah, so there, there is, yeah, there's this kind of, um, this guy's like a lifer, right? I think he joined the military at like 17 or 20. This bit has been going through, yeah, for, for a very long time. And uh, he talks about like the previous military leaders who have been like sort of, uh, kind of fused the state and the military right down these coups before so yeah this is kind of a um and this happens a lot right when you have these like military academies and this military that sees itself as separate from a better than society rather than like uh, other models that that we might see like an 
in militaries that don't see themselves as that. And if this has a tendency to happen, and that seems to be what's happening here, yeah, like a, a military that sees itself as like, yeah, separate from, better than, and ordained to rule over the rest of the society. I mean, it's interesting you say, by the way, that like the world was watching, because I think all of us, I mean, we probably shared it on our Instagram, uh, watch that video of the woman doing the workout video. And she's listening to that. Um, she's listening to that Indonesian song. I think it's Indonesian. Ampung Bang Bang Joe. I probably butchered that, but I mean that went viral. I mean a ton of people saw it. As you know, the APCs, uh, you know, the APCs filled with troops were rolling up to take power, and she's sitting there in the middle of the uh, you know the the traffic circle doing a dance. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, that's one of the things. Um, like so much of this is like a. A, uh, a story about one country and one place but also like it's such a 2020 2021 story right like all these people who are like everything's happening in view of the internet you can't get away with shit like you used to yeah i think i'm gonna try to uh, throw that song uh as the intro and outro song uh for for this episode um and and so, you know, moving on, civil disobedience starts, you know, using live ammunition, people are getting killed. So what makes yeah. this, you know, what makes this, this conflict go hot as opposed to essentially the government just repressing all forms of anti-coup activity? Yeah. Um, well, like, because you don't have, like, uh, I was going to say it's not like the United States, but who the fuck knows anymore. Uh, like, you don't have, like... Uh, the, the, the government doesn't isn't able to physically exercise control over all of the country all of the time, right? And you have these groups uh, like like the Koran and these these other ethnically armed organizations, right, who have been opposing the government for a very long time uh, and have have like their safe zones where they're able to exercise some some form of autonomous rule, right? So that gives a place for for folks to go and like a model for what to do, right? Like they the military's never really been able to suppress these people. Um, so you've got that. And then like, it's a pretty desperate situation, isn't it? Like what the fuck else are you going to do? And these kids, like I talked to them on signal or Reddit or uh, email or, or uh, uh, telegram or something. And uh, like they're 16 and 17. Like, they're, like they're, they're, they have the choice of like living the rest of their lives uh, with like people ruling over them who are willing to burn people alive or like trying something else and uh yeah they decided to try something else right like they, they uh it's some of the stories are very sort of uh like they're, like they're sad they're inspiring it's it's very brave um but but it's sad to think like when i was 16 i was just fucking around with my friends and, and like building bike jumps and stuff you know i mean it honestly seems like a lot of the the participants in this are really our kids like you would see the photographs from the civil disobedience, uh, Snow, you actually just told us the other day uh, about actually an Instagram account that's run by like some kids in Myanmar. Um, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but it definitely hit home for yeah. me. Yeah, it's uh, called like Boys in Myanmar or something like that. Um, we'll probably drop it in the episode description because uh, I'm probably wrong about that. But it's literally just pictures of various blurred faces, of course, but like young uh, male presenting people. 
uh, armed to the teeth. Uh, and me, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, you know. But like, also similar to like what you were saying, James, just like incredibly sad at the same time because like, you know, I was worried about like my fucking MySpace or something when I was 16 versus like, you know, them fighting for their like their liberty and the freedom, but also just like the deep sense of like it didn't start now. It's like a legacy that precedes all these kids and they're just kind of carrying that that like ancestral trauma and generational trauma with them as they fight the state and yeah it's a really interesting instagram we'll drop it in the episode description it's probably worth noting like some of the kids are it depends on like what ethnic group they're from right like so it's interesting to see um that generation they call themselves generation Z. They, they, they're they very, like, open about their generational identity. Uh, and in some cases, you have the EAO, like the Ethnically Armed Organization, and then, like, a separate Generation Z group who are not about, like, necessarily, like, an ethnic independent state. They want, like, a multi-ethnic Myanmar. But they're allied to... So they might be of that ethnicity and allied to and learning from the EAO. But they're, like we don't want something or they'll have like the, the kids, the Bama kids from like the, the majority ethnic group, like a, and they're, they're fighting together and what they call the PDF. Right. So like, it's interesting how they've taken that trauma and been like, like we keep fucking fighting each other. And, and like, it's cool to see, right. Like we like, they, people fought each other for so long and then just being like, fuck it. Actually the, the enemy is the state or the, you know, the, the, the boot on someone else's neck is going to be on my neck soon. And maybe I should deal with that and not just sort of lick the boot. Could you help us understand the interrelationship between, say, like uh, the people that we saw like using Hong Kong street tactics uh, like last year or the year before, I can't remember, to the boys in Myanmar, to the PDF, to the Karen Liberation Front, right? Um, it seems like they're a coalition under the PDF, but um, are these are some of these the same people that like started out doing like nonviolent protests in the street and have been pushed to like armed guerrilla conflict? Yeah, I think some, but not all. Uh, I've seen like various like uh, quote unquote like fact checks on this. Like there are definitely sometimes uh, there are, there are photos of uh, like Karen national liberation army groups and the people are like, Oh, these are the kids who are in the street four months ago, whatever. And then they're not right. Like, the photo is older and stuff. Um, but there are also, yeah, these, um, like, people I've spoken to personally, right, uh, who, who, yeah, they were out in the street a year ago and now they're they're somewhere else fighting. And so to try and explain the sort of the bigger hierarchy of it, I guess, um, so you have the National Unity Government, right, uh, which is mostly formed as a National League for Democracy, which was a party that was in power before, which, as I said, is far from blameless when it comes from, from like to doing bad shit to people because of their ethnicity, like to doing genocide. But they're the libs, uh, though, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're the libs. They're the like, uh, like. Uh, I mean, look, the Democrats are not, not, not to blame for the genocide that happened in this country, right? Like uh, settler colonialism is is a thing that both parties wholeheartedly embrace. Um, that's kind of much the same, I guess, a little different, but um, this. National Unity Government does seem to be like, like basically apologizing for not sticking up for the Rohingya, and like, um, it remains to be seen what happens afterwards, right? Or what happens if it remains to be seen who wins, I guess. But um, the what they 
you have the popular defence forces, right, which is a broad banner for people who support the national unity government, and they're sort of fighting alongside the the various ethnic armed organisations, right? Uh, and the, the longest running, largest one of those is Karen National Liberation Army, uh, which is spelt like Karen, right? So that's that's like uh, hopefully people can get past like that. I've realised that like when you read it, it sounds like they're like the fucking terrorist wing of the pantsuit nation or something but like <laughs> uh like yeah you know, it is it's objectively funny but like also like they're, they're, they're like the fucking people who have had a boot on their neck for like generations right and they're just trying to right make things better i think a lot um, of people responded really uh immaturely to that in the comments sections of a lot of posts and i think i've seen a lot of people who have been the um, original posters of some of these things being like all right Shut the fuck up! Like these are people fighting <laughs> yeah. for their lives. Yeah, like, like I, yeah, like I have two. Uh, I'm a child. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we can get past that and realize that like fucking horrific things are happening. But yeah, so you've got groups like that, and then you have these like really interesting like Generation Z groups that are attached to the EAOs. Um, so they're like, and these EAOs have generally been like a sort of a pro independence or autonomy force right like asking for autonomy or asking is the wrong word right fighting for autonomy for their little areas um um and what that has like manifested as is like a sort of a sort of uh, safe zone right like a sort of uh, an area where they it's not an autonomous nation but it, it, it's not part of it's not really under the control of the government either and then you have these generation z kids who are coming and they're like more interested in, in a multi-ethnic state um and they're like so they're forming like parallel organizations to the ethnically armed organizations and these are the ones who like i talk to on facebook and they uh they're just they are like definitely children uh you know like they're very young in the way that they speak and like they, they stream everything uh, it's like I think you can find it's like Karen Generation Z Liberation Army or Karen Ger- Generation Z Army on Facebook, and they're just out there like streaming. I think they have a TikTok. Uh, like they, uh, they definitely have like helmet mounts and stuff. Um, but yeah, they're also doing doing war stuff. Uh, so it's it's very strange, right? It's like very online at the same time. Uh, it's very real. Yeah, and you know. I take it by the fact, by the way, that, you know, on the one hand, you've got, you know, people who, you know, are transitioning from sort of, you know, just generalized civil disobedience to, um, you know, the ethnically armed organizations that you spoke about further that, um, and the fact that we're going to talk about 3D printed firearms here in a second, that uh, Myanmar is not a country in which, or was not a country in which civilians could just own whatever guns they wanted. Yeah. I looked up the small arms survey to try and work out what gun ownership was. I think it's around one person in a hundred. There were some exceptions for Chin people as another ethnic group um, because hunting uh, food is very scarce and hunting makes up a big part, it seems, of their culture and food supply. Uh, So they were allowed to own guns. But for the most part, yeah, it's not like America, right, where there's guns everywhere. Could you tell us how people just started getting guns i mean if you're going to take on the government you got to have something right so yeah um so 
some of these groups, right, like, like the Karen, definitely already had an established system for acquiring guns. And they, they'd had guns for a long time. They seemed to mostly use uh, M16s, right? Uh, and then some various various types of AKs, right? Uh, you also have other groups who have been making, like some of them make pretty good uh, sort, sort of AK pattern type guns. And then you had people who had been making the most sort of uh, like Rube Goldberg kind of gun contraptions. Like I've seen these air rifles that are made, like it looks like uh, like you've got your can of like, you know, the stuff that you spray on your kitchen counter so you can wipe it. It's like a can of that size and then like a barrel and like somehow they've, they've sort of rigged that into an air rifle and that's what they're using presumably just to like shoot little birds or like what, like you're not going to kill anyone with it. Um, make their day worse but like it's like a shoot your eye out gun you know like uh so yeah they, they were they, some of them were making those um so then they from what i've heard it would cost them to import like a single gun right like a say a, a, like a kalashnikov or like a, any like ak pattern thing right because i think some of them are actually chinese they're not ak's um uh or an ar pattern thing right not necessarily an m16 uh between four and seven thousand US dollars is what I was told it would it would cost to get that across from Thailand, which is a shit ton of money, right? So, yeah, early on, like when the armed conflict was sort of beginning to heat up a bit, you'd see these wild videos of people with muzzle loading muskets and shotguns and uh, like. Uh, old, like, Lee Enfield rifles from World War Two, and fuck knows where they were able to get ammunition for them or whether they'd just been hanging on to it for a very long time. Uh, but, yeah, there was these amazing videos. Um, and they seem, yeah, they've been making all kinds of stuff, like big anti-material rifles that are homemade. And uh, they've really been sort of... Uh, there was clearly some already somewhat indigenous industry and maybe it's just... I'm seeing it more because I'm paying more attention, but they seem to have stepped up, like, the... Uh, the homemade firearm game. I, I've just been struck every time I've seen footage of like combat there, how uh, how ragtag it is, and how incredible it is that they're able to like maintain uh, resistance in like probably the some of the most difficult for me to imagine conditions. Uh, just using like M1 carbines from World War II, like. I saw a video recently where it was just like jamming after every shot and it just seems so rough out there. Um, I saw that today, yeah. Yeah, so wild. So it's easy to see the need for something like the FGC-9. Um, what's the story behind that making its way into Myanmar? Yeah, that's really interesting actually. So um, as best I can tell uh, from the people I've spoken to, uh it was some of these younger people, people maybe who are more online, maybe it, it's really like, I don't know for sure if they saw like Jake's plastic defense documentary or how they came across it for the first time. Uh, but they were aware of it and they started to pop up in the, the FOSCAD subreddit. And this is kind of the first place I saw them. I think they also had direct communication with uh, like Ivan uh, and some other people, Alex from control Pew. Uh, I think they all. I think they might have uh, like been been in Telegram or something like that, uh, talking to to those people, or at least going on the you know because they have a that Gatalog website where you can see it. Um, uh, just just for everyone who doesn't know, the Gat the Gatalog is a place where 
you can basically just download all these plans uh, for free. It's all free. Yeah. And like you don't have to, I think crucially for like uh, legal reasons, no one has to tell you how to make it, right? It's just there and you click on it. So the way I saw it was this guy popped up in the FOSCAD subreddit and like uh, doing the work I do, those kind of parts of the internet are always interesting to keep an eye on, right? You always see some interesting stuff. Um, I was already interested in, in the 3D printed gun stuff. Um, so I sort of keep an eye on that. And uh, yeah, he pops up. And at first he's just got a picture of a few of them on a table and he's gone like, I'm somewhere in Asia. We have a problem with the government. Look at this. Uh, like it was just this uh, sort of like, uh, it, you know, it, it, it took about 15 seconds to work out where it was. Um, and uh, he basically just did it. Like he, he deleted the account immediately. Just like popped it up, said thank you to everyone, and it said we're making more of these. And then uh, the it's uh, the it's a young guy, so like a he him uh, male presenting person. Um, he pops up a few months later, um, and it's like, oh, like uh, yeah, fuck it. Like there's no point pretending to be anonymous anymore. Like everyone's worked it out, uh, and, and people have seen these. Like yeah, we're we're in Myanmar. Uh, these are the guns we're making. We've made it loads of them, like hundreds of them. Uh, we've got some different designs. You know, what do you all think about doing this? How about trying that? You know, what have, has anyone got any other ideas? Like at first, I noticed they were popping up, and they just had the like the like the rail along the top where you can put, but they didn't have any sights. They didn't know like aiming system at all. And then over time, they've refined it. They've had three D printed or acquired sights for them. Over time, they start making suppressors for them, which they make out of the, like, uh, you know, they call it a fuel filter. It's not a fuel filter, but uh, be sure it's a fuel filter if you're importing it, I'm sure, to that country. They're putting sights on them. They're putting suppressors on them. They, um, they do the, I think it's called electrochemical machining, so that they don't have to use a lathe or, or a piece of metal for the barrel. Yeah, they've got it down. If you look at the, like, you can see that, like, when they run out of one color of plastic, they just shove another one on and keep going. Like some of them are like multicolored and stuff. Like uh, it's wild. But they they say they've got a print farm now. They're churning them out. This was a few weeks ago. So I think things have probably changed a little bit since then. And we can get into that. But they churn them out. We can go into a little bit about how they're using them if you want. Or like just that. The funny thing is that that post is still up. And you're right, James. It's a bunch of people being like, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And in typical Reddit fashion, the post in the FOSCAD subreddit is is tagged show off. It's a show off <laughs> post. And it's a flex. Oh, it's an absolute it's an absolute flex. I mean, you know, you can some of these people will post there being like, I can't get my FGC nine to run right. Does anyone have any help? And here's people who've built and used some of these in their intended application. Yeah, like there's a lot of people on that website who have absolutely fantasized about this, right? Or like some kind of like Red Dawn scenario. Like uh, there's someone in his mum's basement is just fucking like, yeah, it's great to see the responses. People are just so fucking excited about it. Uh, but yeah, half of that subreddit is someone who's like, it looks like half a gun and then it's just like melted or like, I've never used a 3D printer in my life. I'm sure they're harder than, than it looks, but uh yeah, it's just pretty funny to see, like, you know, they got up to the bit where the trigger is, and then it's fucking, like... Or, like, the two files got corrupted, and it turns into, like, a TV remote control or something. Like, 
There's all these really good fails. <laughs> oh my um, god, that's hilarious. Yeah, and then like a high school age kid is out there like just uh, owning everyone. Wow. Yeah, um, if, if y'all are okay with it, can we get into like how they're being applied? And like, yeah, I'm curious about also um, where they're getting the, the ammo for them. Yeah, yeah, we can do both of those. Uh, so how they're being applied, um, from what they've told me, they use them mostly for training. So uh, most of the people, and I've seen pictures of their training camps, uh, most of the uh, the people there are not hugely experienced with firearms for the reasons we spoke about, right? Uh, and even, like, most people who turn up in any military, even in countries like America, right, where there are more guns than people, they have, have very little firearms handling experience. So learning, you know, like, you know, the uh, barreling goes towards a bad guy, you know, like, don't put your finger on the trigger until ready to shoot it all that stuff right like how to shoot it all that that's a lot of what they're doing with them uh and because they're cheap they don't have to they're, they're not risking losing them in that training environment uh you know they they can have their recruits take them apart put them back together uh learn to use the safety all that stuff right and, and because they can turn out almost unlimited numbers of them in this print farm that's a lot of what they're using them for and then also Per their like uh, what they call them like special forces units like um, so I'm guessing I uh, I asked a little bit sometimes you don't want to push too much but like um, I think it's people like in towns and in cities because they're a lot more concealable right they um, they're, they're small especially if you have a suppressor uh, you can use them to just like uh, if, if they're looking to kill someone in particular uh, do an assassination do something like that. Uh, they can use those a bit more, right? Or like, you know, uh, kind of rear echelon, right? Like uh, in a way that lots of militaries have these small like, personal defense weapons for people who aren't necessarily expecting to be kicking doors and having gunfights. Uh, they, they still might be in danger and they might need those. Uh, so they're not really like going toe-to-toe with the, the army, with their armies. Uh, the Tatmadaw have a bunch of weird weapons, actually. But yeah, they're like let's say M16s, right? They're more using them in other things. Um, in terms of where they get ammunition from, 9mm is relatively universal, right? I looked at what they can make. Early on, there were these really weird pictures of them buying like crates and crates and crates of like uh, 2-2 ammunition. Uh, in case, like they were going to war against fucking Squirrel Army. Uh, they can make that in Myanmar, it seems. So I don't know if they're I spoke to the people who make, who design the FGC-9, like Ivan, and he was saying you can't get an Alex, and they were saying there isn't a, a 2-2 version of it, so they're not using it for training like that. Um, but they can, so they can make that, and they can make shotgun cartridges. That's what a lot of the sort of indigenous ammunition production seems to be. Uh, so the 9mm, which they use for the FGC-9, they're getting from the police by, like, raiding... Uh, and they're like, they're, if you look, there are these specific like videos of raids at police stations, and often that's what nice. they're going for there, right? Very nice. Yeah, it's it's very smart. Like, it, and then they can buy it from Thailand as well. It's not cheap to buy it from Thailand, but I've seen pictures of you know like commercial boxes that they've they've got from Thailand. So yeah, aside from the like the two two ammunition that they seem to be making or buying, most of the other stuff they're stealing. I think even the ammunition I'm told to buy costs a lot of money. Uh, I've heard from people uh, that they, they were always very cautious to not be overusing that. So, um, yeah, have, having a, a gun they can use 9mm ammunition for, it's very handy for them, I'm sure. 
I mean, it's interesting you say, like, you know, the, the city aspect, right, about people using it in cities. Because if you have a suppressor, I mean, you, you roll up to the checkpoint or whatever, you know, do what you want to do, and then it's $100. You can just, you can just chuck it, right, at yeah. the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's not entirely disposable, but if you lose it, you're like, hey, you know, whatever, just, just print another one. I think someone in the Reddit thread mentioned this. It reminded that user of, like, the Liberator pistols they dropped all over Europe, like, in World War II, where it's like you get one shot, and then you just hopefully, you know, you pick up that guy's weapon, and then you go from, and then you go from there. Yeah, a lot of them were talking about that. Like, you know, you know it only needs to work until you can get a better one. Uh which is fair enough. And like, yeah, you could, you could melt it if you wanted to, right? Like it, it you know, it, it's not a super durable piece of kit. Uh, yeah. So they, they, a lot of them had mentioned that, right. That it's a means. And they do have like a number of desertions from the military to the PDF. So, uh, that's how they were saying they got a lot of their, uh, like their machine guns. There was these people who had deserted. So yeah, they, they, Getting, getting hold of those weapons, using these to get better guns is certainly part of what they do. And, and when you say that, uh, you know, who are you talking to about this? I don't want to get anyone in trouble or blow any sources here, but what can you share with us, uh, with us about who you're talking to about this stuff? Yeah, so I'll be uh, a little bit vague. Uh, obviously, you always have to look out for your sources, but most of these are people I've just met, like... Um, through these various groups right so I'll, I'll see that like that kid who posted on reddit i've spoken to and uh i'll just message him i'll say look this is my previous work you know if you want to have a chat they're all very willing to have a chat right because like, they are fucked if the world doesn't start to care uh and like the only real hope that that they have is that people can sort of watch this from from somewhere else in the world and say like we ought to do something uh, like, so there's a there's a the Tatmadaw gets most of its its stuff from like Russia, China, and India, in terms of munitions, right? Who are still selling munitions to them. So, but like you know, maybe they hope that that uh, the world will stop them doing that. Like I said before, like I'm a, I'm a historian of the Spanish Civil War, so like I don't have much faith in, in like arms embargoes, especially like one sided arms embargoes. But um, yeah, they're hoping. And again, like they're young, right? Like they can, and obviously quite idealistic. Like that, they hope that if people just knew that they'd give a fuck, and like well, we all hope that people knew they give a fuck, but I don't know if they would or not. But uh, yeah, that they, they seem pretty motivated to talk. There's another guy I speak to on Signal. Um, he's again younger. Uh, he's with the PDF. Uh, he's at a training camp at the minute. So he sends me pictures of him and his mates running around carrying logs and like doing this kind of old school training stuff. Uh, and then uh, there are a couple I just speak to on like um, like Facebook Messenger. Those Generation Z kids, like they they'll Facebook message me stuff like that. So and you mentioned before that the Tatmadaw is being supplied by other countries. What exactly are what exactly are these kids up against? Um. I think it would probably be and wouldn't categorize them as like the most like professional military in the world, but they're a large military. I'm not exactly sure how large uh, and they're well equipped, right? Like got certainly in terms of like small arms and such. They also obviously have air assets, right? Um, and we spoke a little bit about this on Signal, I think like, uh, like the Tatmador have, have the ability to, to like bomb uh, and have bombed some of these positions. They've bombed towns, right? Uh, obviously they've got, uh, a lot of vehicles that PDF ten 
not to have. So yeah, I mean, there are they're not like an entirely modern and professional military, but they're certainly not like going on Reddit to arm themselves either. So yeah, I guess they're they're certainly sort of well armed and equipped. They don't seem to always have the best, I guess, discipline or morale. They, they have you have desertions. I've seen a number of pictures of, of you. You can probably safely assume that every single person who deserts makes it onto the internet, right? Like like it's a, a point of pride, but still that that's happening is, is relatively remarkable. Uh, and they have done some horrific things. Uh, I saw a video of some people who have been captured and just had the shit beaten into them. They, they will publish uh, pictures of like uh, women who have been like abused and, and assaulted and, and like who have been sexually assaulted in custody, right? And, like they don't seem to have any shame about torturing people, burning people alive, like doing the most horrific shit. That's absolutely like, you know, disgusting. And, and, you know, just, I mean, I'm honestly a little bit floored, uh, you know, by that, you know, by that kind of treatment of people. I mean, they're trying to stomp it out, but I mean, it doesn't seem like it's working. I mean, the conflict there has been going on, I mean, for a while, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm coming up on a year. Right. Um, and like things have been, particularly bad they seem to have sort of been ebbs and flows obviously and they've gone in the last couple of weeks again uh really back to the like uh just this sort of cruelty towards civilians in those areas right like i saw they bombed town um i've seen like yeah people have been tortured to death you know burned all that kind of stuff you probably all saw the video of the like the uh it's like a van driving into a crowd of people. People are still engaging in like non-armed protests, right? Like sort of regular marches and stuff. And it was, you saw the video of the, of the van driving into them, that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say if it's like a sort of, I guess an organized campaign of violence against civilians or just like a sort of, um, certainly they're not doing much to stop it. Are they? If it keeps happening. Yeah. And it seems like the military, it has a lot of like sadistic people that like just have like a culture of torturing and grotesquely injuring the populace. But they, I'm also struck by how kind of incompetent they seem at certain moments and just how, I don't know, they seem really like milk toast as far as like militaries go. Uh, I know that they're, they're not like the most formidable military ever, but um, it also seems like they really struggle to contain some of the the concentrations of guerrilla fighters like it seems like a lot of the operations are happening undisturbed is that your sense as well yeah i mean uh certainly like in the areas where like these these sort of eaos have been active for a long time yeah the military doesn't really have a foothold there right um and then if you look at some of these attacks it's hard to say because uh, all you normally see is like someone's chest camera, right, or someone's someone's helmet camera. Like, and they're not uh, presumably the person, the person whose unit comes up against like a well-organized defense, uh, and they either die or are repelled because they're not streaming that, right? But yeah, like some of the stuff you do see, it's not. It's kind of amateur hour stuff. Um, like, I don't know how well trained their sort of average recruits are. Uh, and I don't know how much experience, uh, combat experience they actually have and how much like, uh, you know, they're really good at drill and ceremony. Uh, you know, they, they can march the shit out of, uh, 
a nice parade, but uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know what sort of training they have. But yeah, certainly, like, the fact that, uh, you know, you're seeing people who were in high school 18 months ago, like, fighting and winning and being able to, you know, like, take and hold territory to be able to capture positions, uh, acquire munitions, that kind of thing, like, doesn't speak well to their operational capabilities, I guess. I mean, it definitely seems that, you know, with with especially with these kids that this this whole thing is so I mean we we talked about this a little bit with Jake like it's it's the means for doing this is is very it's very internet right i mean like literally going on the internet to seek help regarding your issues uh, with government abuse and people help you and you just you you post the results on you know TikTok or Facebook it's the most, you know, the 2020s, it's the most 2020s thing like I could ever imagine, honestly. Yeah, like I often think about that, like in terms of like how would things have been before? Because um, I think we always have a tendency to be like, oh, these kids today. Uh, but like, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the printing of guns is undoubtedly an extremely internet thing, right? But before that, you had like the PA Luti, right? With his like homemade gun that you could make not many people use that, but it existed. Um, and then, like, you know, people have tried to help each other uh, in, to some degree for a very long time, right? Like, uh, you know, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War from all over the world. Um, which is obviously, like, I'll go back to that because it's the one I know the most about. But, uh, again, like, they, they were acquiring firearms from all over the fucking place, right? Like... Um, uh, CZ, the Czech firearms company, like violated an international arms embargo both by the both like uh, there's an international arms embargo on any trading, but then all the Eastern Bloc countries were trading with the Republic, or the Soviets were trading with the Republic, uh, but not with the anarchists, and they were just like, "Now fuck it, we'll sell guns to the anarchists." Like, I don't know, if just had money, or that they thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah, like it. Uh, so, like, people have in one way, and like Mexico sold guns to the Spanish Republic, right? Um, people have been have been sort of trying to help. I think the internet makes it easier, right? It brings those connections are like deeper and and, and faster and closer. Uh, but yeah, it it, it does. In one sense, it seems highly online. Like those those boys in Myanmar, I don't know how many Instagram followers they have, uh, but it was kind of interesting. It was like six friends or something, right? And five of them went to fight and one of them does the like uh social media and photography right and but yeah like i i'm glad they do because otherwise you know maybe we wouldn't be talking about this and we wouldn't care right do you I see mean, i mean it really has been a lot of oh, go ahead go ahead Camilla. we'll just cut this you go ahead okay uh do you see um discussion or maybe uh direct calls for aid in that Spanish Civil War kind of way? Like, we want people here? No, I haven't seen that, actually. I was wondering about that. It's, it's not an easy place to get to. Uh, sure. To sort of go through India or Thailand, I guess. Sure. Uh, I did wonder about that, like, because, I mean, we have seen that, like, in other places, right? Uh, you, like Rojava. Going. Yeah, and Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah, like, of course, like, ISIS did this, right? A ton. Like, I, like in many ways, it's kind of similar. ISIS weren't 3D printed guns, but they were 3D printing little fins to drop grenades from drones. Um, 
and they like had their whole own social media sphere right, right that people uh, appealed to but no i haven't seen that um i always ask them like you know what do you want to come out of this i'd ask anyone who i'm writing about like what what they hope to come out of this and they just want people to pay attention uh and and, and like it's it's quite uh you always feel bad when someone has so much faith that like the united nations is going to come and help them because the united nations doesn't give a shit about anyone but um yeah it, that's what they want they i haven't seen that like come and join us and fight with us uh and i haven't i people have been and fought there i know of people from like sort of uh countries outside of asia um i've seen people posting uh from like parts of india being like hey can we come join you uh and then like i hope they don't conduct those conversations in open forums uh but yeah like those uh i've seen some of those so maybe they will uh but no for the most part they don't seem to be asking for that it's interesting and it's it's actually actually one thing you said that's interesting to me is that uh you mentioned uh printing of the fins to drop grenades from the air we've now got 3d printed untraceable guns that you can build uh, with stuff you got from the hardware store. How do you see, you know, that small scale yet effective uh, manufacturing, whether in the Middle East or uh, Myanmar, like affecting global conflict and the ability of just regular old people to, you know, fight against their own governments, other other groups of, you know, or, you know, non-state actors fighting each other. How do you see that manufacture that kind of manufacturing affecting those conflicts? Yeah. It's interesting. Um, uh, I think, in some senses, the drone stuff is is has has more of a global relevance, right? Like, um, if we look at like uh, lots of places in the world are just flooded with with guns, right? And and, and you, there's no point printing one when it's much easier to get an AK-47 than it is to get a broadband connection, right? Um, and and that might speak to like you know how we keep perpetuating conflict and pushing arms into unstable places. But uh, the, yeah, I think the drones are really fascinating, actually. Like, they're sort of like the, uh, like, sometimes you can, like, they, they call it the poor man's air force, right? Uh, the um, the idea that you can, like, you can see thing, you can get this aerial perspective that you couldn't get before with this thing that you can order on Alibaba for what, I don't know how much a drone costs, $100. Uh so like those are fascinating. I think those will change things, change the, the, you know, the way people can use existing stuff they already have, right? They have artillery and mortars. Now they can use a drone to work out where to pop them. Uh, hugely, hugely. And you can do what uh, like ISIS were doing, right? Do these suicide drones, pop a grenade on it. And, and it's petrifying. It's very, very hard to stop. I think I read somewhere that like the U.S. Army had said that like the drone was their greatest worry, uh, in, in parts of like Iraq that like they, you know, that's what they were concerned about. Um, it's sort of this yeah very effective, very cheap thing. So yeah, those I think will change, I guess, to this sort of somewhat level the playing field, at least for now, uh, until I'm sure there will be some kind of technology, right? Like I, I know uh, I read some papers on like, you know, like a shotgun that has a net or like a, um, other ways to like take down drones, right? Like a, a drone hunting drone. Uh, you guys have presumably seen the drone hunting, uh, I think it's like a hawk or something, some kind of bird of prey. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great. 
I love to see the like circularity of uh, like old meets new, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe fucking the age of the hawk is coming upon us. But um, yeah, I don't think the printed guns, honestly. Like I was fascinated to see them. So maybe I'm wrong. Like in Myanmar, like because. That it, it's relatively possible for uh, the borders to be not porous enough that they can't get weapons. Um, so, like, they will make a difference there. I know people, like, have them in South America. I know people have them in India. Um, I know somebody has one in Russia. Um, so those those are places where, like, uh, it might be a little bit harder to get weapons, right? Um, I've seen them so. in the Netherlands. Yeah, shit ton of people. Uh, they love them. Uh, I'm sure they'll be popping up in the UK soon. Uh, it would be, like, in countries like the UK, I would imagine uh, it would be harder to acquire ammunition. That would still be kind of a stumbling block um, because you don't have, like, we don't have a very militarized police force. Uh, there's not really any civilian use of, like, centerfire pistol cartridges at all, uh, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, so there wouldn't be much use there, right? Um, somewhere like Russia, I think you probably still have enough weapons bumping around and like sort of the availability, I think from what I understand, like you, it, it's a little bit easier for people to have center fire pistols for target shooting and stuff. So the ammunition might be a little easier to come by. Um, so yeah, I think it depends hugely on, on the context, right? Like, um, um, specifically on the availability of ammunition, I guess, and the availability of other firearms. But yeah, it has the ability to level the playing field. It's, it's fascinating. And you said before, right, that, I mean, some of it's like a cost issue because the FGC-9 over there is 100 bucks. I mean, you can get stuff over the Thai border. I mean, they're getting 9mm ammunition over the Thai border, but the weapons, you know, AKA our pattern rifles are 4,000, right? Yeah. So. I think it's also just harder to, yeah, like uh, it's a lot easier to smuggle a box of ammunition, right? A few boxes of ammunition than it is to smuggle a big, and guns are big, you know, they're ungainly and you take them apart. Uh, they're pretty obviously a gun. So, yeah, like I think the cost is much lower, right? That um, if they're truly making them for $100, which it seems like they have no real incentive to lie, uh, there aren't that many places in the world where you can pick up like a functioning rifle for less than that. Um, even in, you know, in places, different economies and such, places that are awash with weapons, it still costs more than that. Uh, you can actually, there are people, uh, even in those places, 3D printing like accessories and stuff. Like I know there's a guy in Italy who 3D prints kind of gun accessories and stuff for people who want to, uh, like, uh, sort of like church up their AK a bit. Um, so, uh, yeah, like it, it's definitely cheaper. And that will be, that, cheap thing would apply anywhere right i think the other thing is these will probably become better over time like i, I watched their like a uh you know ivan's instagram and alex's instagram and like they, they look the ones they're making that are just receivers look really good uh this like fgc9 i still think like it's not supposed to be as good as like an ar or an ak but it is supposed to be good enough and it is good enough so like as they get better that will change things more right like if they could become like a par with like an AR or something, I think that would change, change things at another level to what they are now. Have you seen anyone um, try to get the FGC nine to fire from like an open bolt in like a SMG kind of fashion or a full no. auto? 
Um, I think I asked about that. Um, I'll have to remember what Ivan said to me, but I don't think that, that it's, uh, I don't think anyone's managed to do that. Um, I think it maybe would require some more modifications. I think they're just like playing like uh, amateur lawyer. It would be quite unwise for them to post the, any way of doing that on their website. Um, it'd be quite unwise. Although they do. Oh, do they, they do do that really? though? Oh, oh really? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's on the catalog, but you can you can get. Uh, I've seen them uh, drop in auto sears for the AR and Glock switches for the Glocks to turn them into full auto. Highly legal. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I've written about several people who have purchased those. Um, but yeah, they're easy to find in court records. Probably not a good idea. Yeah, would yeah, would not would not build one. Yeah, it's not legal advice yeah. to to acquire one. Yeah, but these you could probably get because some of those are on Alibaba, right? Like you could buy those and obtain that. They're using Alibaba for supplies in Myanmar, so like uh, good for them. They could, yeah, yeah, it's great. That uh, uh, they, they could buy them and use them, right? Um, I, I don't know if they're like. A, Cost benefit analysis when ammunition is a premium of having like a fully auto Glock is really uh, worth it. But yeah, no, I've not seen anybody uh, use them in that fashion. I mean, we now live in a world, right, where, yeah. you know, the cheapest handgun I could find online in the last three minutes we've been talking High Point C9 uh, pistol handgun, Academy Sports, 159 bucks, right? Whereas in Myanmar, you can. 3D printed FGC9 for about 100 bucks, which actually makes sense. So if you have the printer, the plastic is cheap, right? The barrel is, you know, the barrel you get from a hardware store, electrochemical machine it. And then you can order yourself a suppressor or, excuse me, solvent trap and drill it out off Alibaba. And this is the world we live in. This is, this is it. Yeah, yeah. That's wild to think about. But yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly cheap. And they're very effective. You've got to get sights as well, I guess, on top of that. I guess you can, you can 3D print those as well. I've seen that as well. And, you know, yeah, I think I, you mentioned this before, but I'll stress again. You can 3D print those Glock mags that go in the FGC9. The Stendos? Oh, you can 3D print the Stendos. Oh, you can absolutely 3D print the Stendos. Yeah, wow. I think that's what they all use, actually. They've got the long ones uh, when, I, when I see pictures of them for the most part. I mean, I guess if you're in Myanmar and you're going to violate the gun laws anyway, yeah, you're going to break the stendos. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying about the, the full auto thing. I mean, like, maybe they don't want full auto. Maybe that would be a waste of ammo. I, I could see that, um, especially if they're trying to conserve and things are tight. But it's, it seems like economically the situation in Myanmar is, like, not as frozen as I thought it might be by this point. It seems like like there's shipping happening. There's business as usual in some cities that's there to be disrupted by nonviolent protesters. Can you explain kind of what what you're seeing in that regard? Yeah, obviously I'm not on the ground, so I only see what I can what I can ask people about. Uh, and but yeah, I think uh, that yeah, people are. It's not like the, they're not in a state of like outright civil war, right? Like uh, they're not like the cities are not turning into to like Raqqa or Stalingrad or something. Um, and I think a lot of this conflict just from where I'm seeing it is like in rural areas and then sporadically in 
urban areas, right? With these little attacks, these raids on people's homes, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, a lot of the EIOs, the areas where they're able to control territory is, is a lot more rural. And then other people, yeah, are, are going to work. Um, and like, that's the thing I think that like I've tried to write about a little bit in other places too. Like when we, when we look at a place and think, oh, that's a place where a war is happening. Uh, like it's also a place where a little kid is trying to play football with his mates and, you know, like, like somebody's just trying to go to school and somebody else is just trying to be a hairdresser. Like, uh, it, and sometimes we, it's, it's, we overlook that, right? It's kind of the saddest, like I just did a thing on this parkour group in the Gaza Strip. And, and like, the saddest thing, I mean, this whole situation there is fucked. Uh, but like, there's... It's so sad to talk to a 12-year-old kid who can textbook describe all the PTSD symptoms to you. Uh, and so, the, yeah, that, that's happening there too, right? People are just plowing on, trying to pay their bills, trying to get on with their lives. And f- there are also thousands of them who are refugees, right? Like tens of thousands of them. Um, lots of them hang out right on the border between Myanmar and Thailand. Like there's a river that divides them. And... Uh, uh, Thailand's not a signatory to the uh, like uh, the refugee convention. Um, they don't really have many laws. It seems like internally to sort of protect people with the refugee status. Um, uh, I mean, we have laws to protect people with the refugee status. We don't fucking do it. Uh, but uh, it's another topic. Uh, so, like um, the the people there are really in pretty bad situations. They're like in barns and stuff, apparently. Uh, okay, sort of, you know, areas where you, you would, uh, I wouldn't want to eat a cow that had lived there. Um, and uh, so what people are doing is because, uh, like, the UN and people can get aid to Thailand, people are staying on one side of the river and then coming across to get supplies and then going back to right by the river and hoping that that proximity to another country will, will give them some kind of safety, uh, some kind of security, right? And then yeah, going back. Uh, Thailand's also repatriating people um, voluntarily uh, with scare quotes. But yeah, they're they're sending people back to Myanmar. So a lot of people are not getting on with it. A lot of people in some of those areas um, are having their lives disrupted and ruined, right? Um, I had a question around like how the EAOs connect with like the street demonstrations and how like as much as you can say around like what that relationship is like and um if there's coordination because in my head i'm just like oh my god wouldn't it be fucking lit if like the eaos like took over a street march and just was like this is our city now um and just kind of thinking about like all these like you know fantasies in my head but yeah could you talk about that yeah um I don't know entirely how they coordinate. I think uh, I read about, I think, yeah, I read about these kids who had written that basically like they were a group of six, you know, like, you know, when you're a kid, you run around with your friends Uh, and and, like three of them have been like, right, we'll go to the jungle and we'll get the training that we need, guerrilla warfare stuff, medical stuff, communication stuff, and we'll come back and we'll teach you. And then, like, you lot can be in the city because, you know, like, you know, uh, our grand's here. Let's stay here with Nan or whatever. And uh, and we'll go and fight. So, like, some of them, there's interpersonal connections, right? But it's not, like, I think 
I would be, uh, I, my suspicion is it's, it's not like a vertical hierarchy, right? Like, or like, okay, you do this, you go there, you people, you chin people, go here, you corren people, you go there and do that. And like, uh, there's, there's not quite that level of like sort of organized command structure. And um, I think also if I had to guess, might not be a good idea to bring like a full blown battle to the cities, given the willingness of the military to just, right. to just accept civilian right. death. But yeah, that that's sort of my suspicion. Uh, but they certainly have all the encrypted apps. And I know like Aung San Suu Kyi was, she went to jail. She, she got an extra sentence, four more years this week uh, for having a walkie talkie. So, like, like a two way radio, talkies. yeah. Like, I think, like, a like a Baofeng, like a, yeah, yeah. Maybe not even a Baofeng. Like, I, I didn't, I was trying to work out if it was like a, a an encrypted Baofeng or like a straight up like Midland walkie talkie, but uh, I don't think they care. I don't think that that could that that concerned with evidence, but uh, yeah, one of her one of her things was like a for having a walkie talkie, one of her charges, and I mean, another one was violating COVID regulations. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually really fascinating to watch. Uh, no, fascinating. It's just uh, remarkable uh, to see these kids, like this 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 young man who's at boot camp or training, will send me pictures, right? Where they're all training and parading, and they're all in their KN94 masks. Like uh, they're they're all uh, doing mask compliance. Modern warfare, you know. <laughs> yeah, in the era of COVID. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, uh, I don't know if that's just when they're taking photographs and masks come on, but like certainly when they're in these big formations, they're all wearing masks. I mean, yeah, like the last thing they would need is, um, is a fucking COVID outbreak. Yeah, yeah, you would be fucked. Uh, I don't, I don't know how bad COVID is. It's, it's everywhere now, so, uh, it's a smart thing to do. Why not do it? I'm sure a big white mask isn't the best thing if you're trying to sneak around and be camouflaged, but, uh, yeah, when they're, when they're not, they seem to be wearing them. Well, James, I really appreciate you coming on with us. Definitely uh, learned a lot. Um, I mean, it wasn't uh, not a very uplifting episode, but I sure learned a lot. Um, we've got some pictures uh, uh, that we'll post on Twitter and in this Instagram post uh, when this episode uh, comes out. Uh, James, anything you want to plug uh, before we go? Yeah, um, I sometimes do Twitter. Uh, it's just my name. Uh, it's James uh, Stout, S-T-O-U-T, let the beer. Uh, you can find me on Patreon, too. Uh, same thing, just my name. Uh, I write a lot about this. I write a lot about history, uh, all kinds of stuff all over the place. Uh, a lot about the border and immigration, too. do a lot of immigration reporting. So, yeah, you can find it there. Uh, I've written a book. It's extremely overpriced. Uh I would suggest getting it from the library. Uh, but yeah, if you want to look for that, it's called The Popular Front and the 1936 Olympics. I think that's all of it. Oh, my website is jamesdout.net. All of it is kind of encompassed there. You know, again, thanks for being with us, James. Uh, sign off, uh, Camilla and Snow. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in, folks. See you next time. Uh, and again, this is John Chinaman and... Uh, Thanks for being with us. Without further ado, uh, the sounds of Ampun Bang Jago. Yes. This is Ian Storm. Ian Storm. Ampun Bang Jago. Sorry Bang Jago. Abang Jago. Yeah, boom, 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 boom. Ampun Bang Jago. 
Abang jago Sorry bang jago Ampun bang jago Ampun bang jago